Welcome to Fuji Love. This is the show that is all about the Fujifilm X-Series and GFX cameras, but more importantly, it's about the photographers who love to use them. I'm Mark Sadowski, and this show is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, whether it's news, interviews, and so much more, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And now, on with the show. Joining me this week is Betionex Pirello. Uh, did I get that right, man? <laughs> yes, you did. All righty. Um, Betionex is, you may know him very well from the, the Candid Frame podcast. Uh, he is an amazing photographer, writer, educator, and he's also a Fujifilm official ex-photographer. Betionex, welcome to, finally to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I, I've been a fan of your podcast uh, for for a while now, and uh, you you really helped me through uh, COVID times uh, with, with uh, listening to uh, your nice soothing voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah, it's good to have you, man. Um, it's good to finally have you on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I've listened to several episodes that you've done, and uh, yeah, I'm honored to be uh, to be on your show. Right on. Um, so you have such a, a amazing, diverse portfolio. You are incredible at street photography, uh, portrait photography. Uh, you have one of those portfolios that, uh, photographers just dream of having where you're, 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 I'm God, you're good at everything (laughs) is, uh, I, I get to ask, like, where do you find the time to do everything between podcasting, between, uh, education and, uh, the, 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 the photography itself, um, do do you sleep? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I sleep. I, I'm, I've gotten better about it. Um, you know, I get up usually around five thirty in the morning and do like meditation and exercise and getting ready to go to work. And I try to go to bed early, which is usually about nine thirty, just yeah. just to make sure that I get enough sleep because I'm just, you know, I'm worthless if I haven't gotten enough sleep. But in terms of you know my photography, because I have so many things going on. Um, I sometimes don't have the luxury of being able to dedicate a big block of time to go out and make pictures. So I always have a camera with me. It's either my X100S or my X-Pro3, sometimes even the um, GFX100S, and I just have it with me so that while I'm going through my day, if I see something, I can make a photograph. And sometimes that's the only opportunity I need to make a, I have to make a photograph at that point. Um, yeah, I used to be very regular about going out, you know, during the weekend and spending like three or four hours shooting somewhere, but because of personal issues, uh, with family members and, and, and a bunch of other stuff that's been limited. Yeah. So, um, that's why I always have a camera with me because I'm always actively seeing regardless of whether I'm going to the grocery store or picking up things from the pharmacy or whatever it is. If I'm out. 
I have my camera and I'm always looking. And as a result, a lot of the images that I end up sharing on my Instagram are just like found images that I that I made during the course of my day. And even if it's only 15 minutes that day, um, I'm really grateful for it. Um, because I'm actively seeing all the time, regardless of whether I make a picture or not, I'm actively seeing all the time. And that for me is the most important thing, the skill that I'm I'm practicing probably 24-7, regardless of whether or not I make a picture or not. I'm always actively um, taking in the world and, think, and thinking about it in terms of a photograph. Yeah. You don't get to turn that off. <laughs> no, it's a good thing. And sometimes I just take pleasure in being able to recognize a scene and go, oh, man, the light on that building right now is just gorgeous. And I may not necessarily get out of the car to make the photograph, but I, I'm appreciative of the fact that I recognized it. Yes. And and having the camera with you is kind of that cathartic moment where you actually get to, to it's kind of like finishing a thought, finishing uh, just kind of that the, the release. Yeah, because so much of my time is outside of the house is like driving somewhere. And so it isn't really practical that every time I see something, I pull over and make a shot. Sometimes I'm I'm impressed to do that. And I do do that. But I would never get anywhere if I did that every time I saw something. Yeah. <laughs> um, with uh, your you shared the, the the gear that you're using, um, let's rewind the clock a bit and go into kind of like your first influences of photography. Uh, where where did you start? your your love for photography how, how did that uh all begin that started for me while i was uh, a member of the boys club of hollywood i think i was around 10 years old uh-huh. and one of the counselors there in his adjoining his office was a dark room that had stopped being used years before and he was in he was an enthusiast so he fixed up the dark room bought fresh chemicals and in film, and he had two freelance photojournalists come to teach a group of us kids how to, you know, roll, uh, put a roll of film in a camera, how to set exposure, and then later on, how to process film and make prints. And like so many people of my generation, when I saw that picture show up on that blank sheet of paper, I was just sold. Yeah. So from then on, I was just, every time I'd come to the club, I would ask Mike, Mike Cohen for the keys to the dark room and I'd load it with film and then I'd make a bunch of photographs around the club or walk on the streets of Hollywood and I would rush back to the dark room and process the film and start making prints. Um, sometimes I was the only one in there. There were only, of all the kids that were introduced, I think there were only two, maybe three that really took to it. But I was I was the one that at, at some point was the only one using that, that room and I used it enthusiastically. It was a, hey, what, it was what year was there. this? Ooh, this is probably 76, 77. Oh, right on. Yeah, some sometime around then. I'm an old fart. <laughs> you and me both, man. <laughs> um, that's about when I was born. Uh, so you're you're just a touch older than I am. <laughs> uh, but so, wow, back, back then, uh, what, what were the cameras that you were introduced to? Oh, they, these are these old I think these German cameras, they were literally these boxes. Yeah. I don't even know what the name of the cameras were. 
Um, they were they weren't definitely not Nikon's or Canons. This is stuff probably from cameras, mostly from the fifties, maybe yep. early sixties. Um, but they still worked because I think that they had active photographic group at the club at some point. Yeah. But I think probably when a counselor left, there wasn't anybody around. So it just set, set there collecting dust, but they had easily over a dozen cameras in there. They even had a, a an Olympus half frame camera oh, wow. in there, which is really tiny and it looked really cool. And I shot with it, but I didn't really take to it because it was so, so much more difficult to make prints from a half frame because the, uh, yeah. the film holder for the, for the enlargers we had did not have a half frame film holder. So yep. I couldn't make prints with it. So I just kind of left it though. I did shoot a couple of things with it, but you know, I really wanted to make the prints. That's what was more important to me than anything else. So from an early age, you, you value the importance of the, the, the print. Um, going from there, uh, how, how did that, love of photography progress in your life? The, is that something that you just, uh, I mean, clearly you stuck with it by going back to the, 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 the lab there. Um, where, where did it go from there? Well, from there, it was, I was just pretty much an enthusiast. I would, you know, take pictures every once in a while, you know, of friends and, you know, and family, but it wasn't until I, um, started, attending Los Angeles city college and became a member of the newspaper that it kind of, I rediscovered it. And there I was working as a photographer and a writer and, um, you know, going out, telling stories. And I really found myself falling in love with it at that point. And it was the first realization that I could possibly make a living from doing it. <laughs> um, but it all, and I, I think the best part of it of that time was that I was working in collaboration with other people and putting together the paper. And it was probably the best time of my entire, you know, college career was being on the paper because I, I not only was making pictures and writing stories, but I really came into my own and feeling yeah. confident about, man, I can, I can do this and I'm, I can do it well. So, um, that for me was a, a big, a big moment to realize that I could do something with this. So I remember those times, uh, college, uh, college newspapers. Um, it, it is the, it was probably for me personally, my, my first time recognizing that you can make, uh, combine the, the, the written and, and the visual, and kind of become that total, you know, the, the bringing the storytelling full circle with the, you know, with, with all the senses. Um, well, more or less. Um, do you see yourself more as a, a visual storyteller or a verbal storyteller? Because I, I mean, with with your podcast and with your photography, I mean, you're. Famously good at both. <laughs> you know, I don't compartmentalize myself in that way. Yeah. You know, when I sit down to write, I'm a writer. And when I go out to make pictures, I'm a photographer. Um, I think storytelling is there to a degree. But um, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't look at myself and what I'm doing and, and sort of put a label on myself. That's for other people to do. I just I'm just doing something that I like to do. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much where I leave it. Now, from college, did you go you pursue a career in uh, journalism or No, I went to I went to Berkeley to get a degree in English lit. Um they didn't have an um a bachelor's program for journalism, though they did yeah. the, the, the graduate school for journalism up there. And, um, but I wanted to go up there to Berkeley, got an English degree and I did intend to go probably to like uh, Missouri and do their graduate program. But I was so burnt after, after college, I, I thought, Oh, I'll take a break. And that break has extended till now. <laughs> so I, I never, I never did it. Um, but while I was there, I was, I was pretty serious about my, my photography. I ended up buying my first Nikon, which was an N2000, which was probably one of their least expensive DSLR um, cameras. And yeah. because I worked in the, in the dark room for the graduate school of journalism there. So I had access to our dark room. So I could process my film, make prints while I was there. Um, and I didn't join the paper up at Berkeley because I, I think I was a rather, I think my ego kind of bristled because I, I earned quite a good reputation at LACC, you know, in my role as a photographer, a writer, and eventually the editor. And, uh -huh. when I, and when I went to Berkeley, I was, it seems like none of that counted for anything. I had to sort of start from scratch. And I, I think my ego couldn't take that. Take that. I hear you. So I was, I was like, but I did all this, and it was like it didn't it didn't count for anything, you know. And I kind of, I wish I could have gotten past that because I think it would have been a good time for me. But you know, it is what it is. Yep. Berkeley's ego was probably a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's and then kind of progressing along the timeline um, with, with um, so I'm, I'm curious because uh, I uh, the, the the degree in writing. Where did you see yourself going after after your uh, you got your degree? Did you see yourself uh, as as kind of like? American author, uh, prose writer. Uh, no, no, I was looking, I was really, I took the English degree with the belief that I was going to go and study journalism as a graduate, graduate yeah. student. So the English degree was just like, well, I'm just going to take a course, uh, get a degree in something that I like to do, which is reading and writing. Yeah. So that's, that's what was my intent. I wasn't really thinking about becoming a fiction author at that point. Um, but I just knew that I I just I wanted to enjoy my my undergraduate, and so I felt like, well, that's better than doing chemistry or mathematics or philosophy, which I, I don't think I could have, <laughs> I couldn't stand. <laughs> I, I was a big bookworm growing up, so it seemed like the perfect thing to do was just to study English and then get a master's degree in whatever I was seriously hoping to make a career of. And and then. So, did you uh, get a job as a as a journalist uh, down? You know, once the the, the dust settled with uh, the academics. No, no. But I when I came home after college, 
um, I wasn't sure what to do with myself. And then I saw an ad for a job at Nikon at their, on their customer service department. Yeah. And so I went, oh, that sounds cool. So I applied for that and I got the job. And I was there for about eight years answering questions about equipment over the phone. But one of the good things about it is that I had access to everything Nikon was making at the time. So this is about 91 till about 97, 98, something like that. Oh, that's so nice. You had the keys I, to the Wonka factory. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, had, I, I could grab any piece of equipment out of the locker. And when I would go out for the weekend, I could, you know, shoot with anything. I would grab the F4, the F3, the FM2, um, any of those cameras and any of those lenses. Uh, I just would have to sign it out and I'd have it for the weekend. And they paid for film and processing because they wanted us to use the equipment. So every weekend I would grab like half a dozen rolls of, you know, Tri-X or Kodachrome and... And I'd go out shooting. So that really allowed me to hone my skills as, as a photographer because I was shooting all the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's not something I would have been able to do had I not been working there, especially being able to access lenses that I normally knew I could never afford to buy. So you were able to, like, really hone your skills, sharpen the uh, – sharpen all your, your your technical side up pretty well oh yeah yeah because i as part of my role at at uh, nikon at the customer service department i was fielding calls from people asking about the equipment either because they were interested in buying it or they were trying to figure out how to use it yeah so by being that familiar with the, with each of the products i was able to better serve the customers that were calling that were calling in asking all these all these questions the majority of which were fairly simple but the other times it would be much more complicated in advance and it's like you know i would sometimes i just grab the equipment from the locker put it on my desk and try to figure out what these people were doing yeah you know and, and resulting in you know, resulting in the problem and most times i was able to resolve them right on it's so with access to everything like what were what were your favorite combinations? Like, what, what you, I mean, you have everything at your disposal. Like, what, what was your favorite Nikon body? Which one was your favorite lens? Which one was your favorite film to use? Like, out of everything that you got to experience, like this, this, this glut of gear and everything. Like, what, what did you loved to what was the thing that you love to 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 photograph with with everything at your fingertips i really like the f3 and the f4 and then awesome cameras yeah and with those i usually took out just a 35 millimeter yeah i i just i, I just shot so much with that focal length and became <laughs> so familiar with it um you know i would take out an 85 maybe a 50 on occasion, but usually it was the 35 that I just really loved the field of view that it gave me and the, and the way the images looked from from that. So that was always my go-to. And when they started getting into the autofocus systems, um, I think the I would use the N90, Yep. but I, I think I kind of favored the, the F4 more so than anything else. It was a bulky camera. But it was just an awesome camera at the same time. 
And I yeah. just like I just like carrying that thing. Though the F3, I have to say, is probably the of all the Nikon cameras that I used up to that date, the F3 with a motor drive uh, was the best feeling camera in my hand. It the, the grip itself was yeah. just perfect. Yeah. When you put the grip on that F3, it was just, it just felt perfect. There is, I I think that is super important in. Uh, a, a camera and i think this is something that we mostly lose on the digital side where we have an lcd screen on on the back that we're always trying to uh keep safe and, and, and be careful and i think that first moment that we got to truly experience what what it's like to hold a a, a proper film camera was when they made the X Pro Three, and the the, the LCD screen was hidden, mm-hmm. because that gave you room to just really expand your grip, and hold that camera, you know, like you did in the past. Uh, the, and um, so I I I feel you about about having that that ideal grip, and it's kind of like putting on. The perfect set of sneakers for 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 yeah. you know, running uh, right because that grip will go a long way in your f- photography. Yeah, I completely agree with you because the the feel of the camera and how you access the controls are are really important. I wasn't always intrigued by all the bells and whistles of the latest camera. It was just how does it feel in my hand and does it feel natural? Does it feel like an extension of my hand and my arm and my eye? Because if it's if it's laid out in a, in a way that's awkward to me, where I find it difficult to figure out where the controls are, even after using it for a long time, I get really, it becomes a distraction. Yep. I used a Canon camera for a long time. I think it was the Canon 5D Mark III. And it produced great, great pictures, but um, I could never remember the dual, you know, each, each of those buttons had dual functions. Yeah. You know, so you could either use the command wheel on top or the one on the back, and I could never remember which one to use to do something. So I always, it would be me trying to figure it out each time I wanted to use it, which is very frustrating. And I know for some people that it's, it's perfect, but for me, it wasn't as straightforward as I needed, needed it to be. Right. Um, so, I mean, you're at Nikon. You got an amazing job. Um, what could possibly make you move from that job? <laughs> like, um, did, did were you able to find uh, a, another photography gig? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Because I I was there eight years, and then an opening. Uh, I saw an ad for an, an editor position at Outdoor Photographer. And uh, magazine, and that was Warner Publishing, and I really was at that point was really eager to get back to writing. Yeah, so I applied and got that job, and I was helping to edit three photo magazines, well, two initially, and eventually three. And there, I was able to take pictures and write articles. So I was Amazing. able to embrace both the things that I really enjoyed doing. And again, just like at Nikon, I had access to all this equipment in the equipment room from all the different brands, Olympus, Nikon, Canon, Panasonic, um, 
you know, and had access to all the software, you know, like Lightroom and and. So, what year are you uh, at this magazine? That would be, I think, I want to say that it's ninety eight, ninety nine, ninety nine. So, st- st- before the before magazines had their, I would, I, I don't want to say collapse, but. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. The internet Shrinkage. had yet to yeah the internet had yet to become the the go to for people who wanted to learn about photography. So it still was largely magazines. Yep. And so there, I was able to write articles about various products. I, I think I wrote got a dozen articles at least on tripods. You wouldn't mm-hmm. think it would be possible, but I I, I probably did. You know and, what? I, I with my uh, YouTube channel, you know, I the tripods is one of the top questions I get asked about. So you may have written a, a many articles about a tripod, but I guarantee you there were people there <laughs> gobbling it up. Uh, so <laughs> it's all good. I I, I get the uh, fascination. Yeah, yeah. And the one lesson I learned: get the best tripod you can afford. You're only going to buy it once. Yes. Don't buy a cheap one because you'll end up spending that money getting another one when that one breaks. Yep. So save <laughs> if you really need a tripod, save your money and you know, spend the five hundred, six hundred bucks because it'll last you a whole lifetime if you if you do it right. Yeah. And it might save your life. <laughs> <laughs> I had that happen. I uh uh, almost fell into a ravine and my uh, tripod uh, caught. I was able to to catch two rocks or two, two outcrops. It's like, oh my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, probably the worst that was going to happen to me was I would have been really soaked and ruined all my gear. But, uh, but it was one of those action movie moments where it's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, wow. But... I did not have a good tripod, and, and so the tripod got wrecked. Um, so my lesson learned there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so th- this sounds like an amazing gig. Uh, that w- you're, you're writing. You're you're using two of your passions uh, all all in one uh, location. Like, talk to me about like what the assignments were. What was it like working in a uh, magazine because magazine writing today is is a completely different beast than it what what it was back in the heyday. Yeah, I think it was about a. I think we were a staff of about four who actually involved in the magazine, and then they had a graphics department and advertising department. But for the photo magazines, there were about four of us. Eventually, I think five or six, and so um, each month we would sit down and plan what the articles were going to be for the issues coming three or four months later. Yeah. Um, They would get published three or four months later. And all of us would, you know, sit down, discuss what the theme of that particular month's issue was going to be. And then assignments were given in terms of, okay, you'll be writing about this. You'll be interviewing this person for this article. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a great fun. And I, I love working under deadline. That for me is, is like, it helps me to be that much more effective. And, um, you know, sometimes we would get equipment in uh, to review like a camera or a lens. So, 
you know, if I wanted to, I could take a half a day or take a day and just say, hey, I'm going to go up here and I'm going to start shoot, shooting with this thing to produce images for an article that I was going to write. Um, I got to meet a lot of photographers, you know, because we did profiles and a lot of photographers. And sometimes I would get to interview them and which to write a, a, a profile article on them. Yeah. So it was nice. And then we would go to all the big photo events, you know, the the conferences, um, and meet with all the manufacturers. And the manufacturers often would come to us, to our office, to introduce us to a new new piece of kit that they're going to be releasing in a month or so. So it was kind of being privy to what was going to happen. You know, all the rumor sites today are just right about what's going to happen. And to a large degree, we knew what was coming up. You know, because the, they would come and they would show us the gear, which is always kind of exciting. From from there, did that shoe drop and did you feel that uh, crunch when the, the kind of the advertising for magazines kind of stopped or? No, not while, not while I was there. It was still. You were still, able to leave before that. Yeah, I was. it was still doing relatively well. The magazines, all the magazines are pretty thick. Yeah, with a good balance of editorial content and and advertising, so that didn't happen until way after I left. Um, when I left after eight years there, I went freelance. So I was writing articles for like Pop Photo and Shutterbug Magazine, and also for Outdoor and DP Review. So I was able to just like submit to other magazines and write articles for them. And during that time. You know, that's when I started to see the the decline because I was getting less articles to write freelance and the amount that people wanted to pay me became less and less for the same work. Yeah. And that was just the result of the fact that they were the decline in advertising was 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 being informed by, you know, the internet and yep. besides dedicated to photography. And so these the, the advertisers started seeing less a return on their investment in the magazines and more in terms of what was happening on the internet. That's why when you pick up a magazine today, you see how thin it is compared to what it used to be 15 years ago. Yeah. Not but as many advertisers. Yeah, and a lot of the magazines I used to write for are gone now or are just online. Yep. You know, popular photo, gone, I think sh- – Shutterbug, I, I don't know if it's gone or if it's just online now. Um, Rangefinder, I think, is just online. Rangefinder was around for a, a little while. I think it was because of COVID that they just recently went online only. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I think DP, uh, Outdoor Photographer, is still a print magazine, but um, the, the page count on those are, are a lot less than they were. Yep. Uh, yeah, totally uh, night and day difference as far as size. Uh, <clears throat> and then come 2008, you, you have the, the, you know, the housing market crash and just everything kind of falls suit with the, just everything kind of going silent online. Yeah. Uh, so... Once that happens, like where where did you find yourself uh, work wise? Well, I was writing. I started writing books. So my first book was uh, "Chasing the Light," and um, 
improving your photography using available light. And so I wrote a series of books. And then I also started teaching, started teaching at Art Center College of Design, teaching a class there, uh, teaching some small workshops. Uh, but mostly it was just the magazine writing and the book writing that kept money coming in. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the big way that I you know kept kept money coming in, and then I would do some commercial gigs um, as well. Um, I was working with a production company that I still work with, uh, Alas Media up in San Fernando. So when they needed to do like uh, they needed someone to do voice narration or something like that for a, a film they were doing, they, I'd get called in. Or if they needed somebody to do still work for them. I'd came in. So it was a hodgepodge of different things. It wasn't one singular thing that I was doing. But uh, I was working from home, which gave me a lot of flexibility. That's amazing. Before you um, working from home before it was the thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I enjoyed that. It gave me a lot, a lot more time to do things that I wanted to take care of personally. And, um, yeah, and I did that for about eight years until until most recently, about two years ago, I became a special projects photographer at the Huntington Library and Botanical Gardens in San Marino, which is about 15, 20 minutes from where I live, a special projects photographer. So currently, I photograph things in their collections like letters, artwork, books, some of the stuff. They have an extensive collection there. And a lot of it is used by people who are doing research, but not all of it is digitized. And some of these materials yeah. are very fragile. So by photographing them, it provides greater access to people who want to be able to use those materials for their research without having to ha have their physical hands on it. So I'm doing a lot of that. I photographed um, recently um, letters from the 1700s uh, with of people who were involved in the abolitionist movement. In oh wow during the time, and, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, and just really some cool stuff. There's some some letters uh, by George Washington after his presidency are going to be coming through the studio at some point, and I may get to photograph some of those. Uh, oh, it's really really kind of cool. I'm working in a studio, which is very different from how I've ever worked before. Uh -huh. I, I enjoy the work. And I enjoy the people that I'm working with. So I, I just, I, because of the way magazines were going, I, I really couldn't keep up working as a freelancer anymore because I used to be able to get like maybe $1,200, $1,500 for an article. And now they wanted to pay me $500 or $400 or $200 or nothing. Yeah. And I, I just went for the same work, for the same amount of work. And I was like, uh, I, I can't do that. So yeah, I had to find a, a more regular gig. I mean, this sounds like an amazing gig, and uh, that GFX 100s catching those details on on uh, I just immediately think of that camera catching all the details. Yeah, we, we initially when I came on, we were using the Phase Ones, which uh, I forget which ones, but they have about a hundred megapixel. But yeah. me and another of my coworkers are big Fuji guys. And so my boss, you know, started asking questions, and he's he's liking them. So he bought two uh, GFX 100s uh, for the studio. So now we were shooting Phase One and and the Fuji GFX system at work. Well, put a pin in that. I'm I'm very curious about that. Um, so 
kind of uh, coming back to the photography, uh, you've been you 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 were a Nikon shooter, uh, a Canon shooter. Finally, make that cross uh, that that touch point with, with Fuji. Like, what was it for you that that uh, got you excited about this camera system? What did it do to uh, your photography uh, in, in terms of like feel or quality, you know, ju- just what was your transition point? I think a pivotal point for me was a trip to New Orleans and I gotten and taken all my gear, all my Canon gear at the time. And I think I could second day, I was just burned out carrying all this equipment and yeah. I just put it away and I just started using my phone for that trip. And I really enjoyed the freedom that just using that phone provided me, you know, because it was so small, I was able to make compositional choices that I wouldn't have made with a, with a DSLR. And I found that it was really fun. So the next time I took a trip, which was to Paris, uh, a friend of mine uh, who worked a lot with Fuji gave me his X100S to take. And I was in Paris. I think we were in Paris for about three weeks. And it was the only camera I had. And I just fell in love with it. It delivered great quality. It was small and compact. I could put it in a coat pocket. I didn't have to think about switching lenses. Um, And it had the equivalent of a 35 millimeter lens, which I kind of favored anyway. Yep. And I just found myself having fun again and not being so earnest when I took out all this gear. And after that, I was just like, oh, I got to get one of these. And so I ended up buying my own. And it slowly became the only camera that I used. All my Canon gear just was sitting in the, in, in the, in the cabinet being unused unless, unless I was asked to do something commercial. And then after a while, I said, why am I keeping all this Canon gear? I'm not using it anymore. So I sold it mm. all. And, um, and then just transitioned to to the to the Fuji system. I think the first one that I got was the uh, was the X-T3. And then slowly I got, you know, lenses for it. And now I have the, um, I still have, I, I upgraded to the F at some point. I skipped the T and I went yep. to the F. And that's the one I still use. And then, uh, now I have a GFX 100S and an X Pro Three, but I just, I just, I just like the the way the camera feels, how I, how I can simplify it, and um, because of its size, it's it's pretty invisible to people. People don't really kind of take me seriously, especially when I'm carrying the X 100S around. I think I'm using an old film camera. Yes. You know, which is kind of, and you're able to bob between crowds very easily. Very it's, easily, yeah. And because I've, I've, I've used the cameras, I use the cameras so much, I don't have to think about settings and things. I just kind of set them, and shoot, and then change exposure compensation or the aperture or whatever I need to do in order to get the shot. And um, yeah, it's really intuitive in terms of where I go to make the changes because I don't want to spend too much time focusing on the camera. I want to be focused on how I'm seeing. And one of the things I like about the Fujis is that I don't have to get distracted by the camera itself and that it doesn't pull me out of the moment. 
I'm curious how uh, Fujifilm saw you because you uh, later became an ex, uh, an official ex photographer. What was that uh, moment where uh, they, they, they saw you recognized your work and it is amazing work. It, it, amazing to be recognized. Um, when, when was that turning point and how has that um, influenced your uh, career? Like what, what, what kind of changed when you became an ex photographer? It was about I, I almost two years ago, maybe a little more. Um, I think part of it was that I had started the podcast in 2006, the candid frame. Yep. And over the last 15, 16 years, that's kind of defined me the has largely defined me in the photo community. Right. I, I may have had a byline in countless magazines, but it was the it was the podcast that really brought me to any degree of prominence. And yeah. so by that point I had I had a social presence. And so I think when Fuji was looking to um add people to their roster, my name kept coming up among people who were already in the, in the program, but I think also outside of that. So, because they wanted not just not only good photographers, but they wanted photographers that all, already had kind of a social presence because it's really a marketing tool for them. Yep. So um, they approached me about doing it, and we kind of went back and forth in terms of what's involved. You know, what, what's my time commitment? And um, yeah, I became I became uh, first a uh, part of their creator program, so I was a creator. And I think a little more than two years ago, I became an ex photographer. And it really didn't make a huge change in terms of how I worked or how I shot. It, it, you know, it gave me access to equipment that I would normally wouldn't normally be able to use. Um, yeah, I could ask for a, a loaner um, for a lens or a camera body to use, and often I would use those for articles I was writing, like for Fuji Love magazine. I've written I don't know how many articles for Fuji Love, and some of the other magazines I was still writing for. So I wasn't doing reviews so much as as I was producing images for the articles. So it, it gave me a little more flexibility in terms of, you know, what equipment I could use um, that I thought was ideal for the piece that I was, I was writing. Um, but uh, but I think a part of the greatest part of it is just the community I've, I've been, the community it's built. And so I've yes. gotten to meet so many great photographers, unfortunately not in person, but, you know, virtually, <laughs> especially over the last years. But I've gotten to see some amazing meet and get to know some amazing photographers, some of whom I call good friends now. And it was just a, a different, a different uh, you know, I was, I was coming to the photo community from yet another different way, you know. Yep. Which was really, just really cool because I've been very lucky that – Pretty much my entire my entire professional career since college has been photo related. Not because I had any big plan or scheme. It's just I've just been blessed that everything that I've done has always kept me jacked in um, into the community, and uh, I'm I'm really happy with that because I know that a lot of people end up doing work that they really don't necessarily love. That has nothing to do with it, what their real interest is, and I can't say that. You know, I, I love what I, I love what I do, and I love being in a community where I'm recognized for what I'm do, I do, and that's respected, 
And uh, yeah, it keeps me jacked in. I'm, I think your work is uh, just just phenomenal. Uh, your your photography, you. I truly enjoy uh, looking at. It's uh, again, you have that you have that gift that you're, you're able to do just everything. Like your your portrait work is very very simple. And I'm not saying that in a in a negative way because what it's doing is allowing you to to really focus on just the just the the the, the person's personality, and you're able to bring that out in a visual way. Um, like like if it, it, like there's some where it's just a, a contemplative look to the side. But with your with the empty space that you provided, it's almost like you're you're seeing them in deep thought and and, and having you know either a hard time or, or just just looking at some of the, the the struggles or or maybe it's a whimsical look that that is just just at the camera and it's you're you're able to tell a story in something very. Is structured very simply, and, and that is an amazing talent to have. And 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 that's just one part of your work. <laughs> mm. Your street photography, whether it's black and white or in color, it's 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 awesome. Um, like like you have just anybody who who is um, uh, on, on the web right now should start following you on Instagram or or have a bookmark to your page because it, it is truly. Uh, truly awesome. And uh, let's um, kind of go right in, back into the, the direction of your, your podcast. You have been um, a, a, a podcaster for, God, quite some time. Uh, you, you said, what, 15 years now? Yeah, it started, I think it's going on its 16th year. It's The show started in 2006. Yeah. And that is that is awesome that that you you've been going for so long. Um, that there's not a lot of podcasts that can that can say that that you know they, they have such a longevity. Yeah, yeah. Because at the time I was working at the magazine, and I had to commute from the Pasadena area down to Westwood, which is about thirty miles. So it would be like a, back then it was about an hour to get to work and about an hour and a half to get back. So I spent a lot of time in the car and, you know, to pass the time, I listened to terrestrial radio at first, and then I started listening to books on tape. And then eventually someone turned me on to podcasts, which is, had just started like the year before, like 2005. And I kind yeah. of gravitated to, you know, some of the ones that are already there, like Chris Marquardt's tips from the top floor. Um, Jeff Curto was doing the history of photography, uh, I think Martin Bailey was doing his uh, podcast, and there was one other fellow out of England, uh, John. I forget, I forget the last name. Um, was doing one as well, and I, I gravitated to those shows because it was about photography. But I was listening. I went, man, someone should do a show where they interview photographers about their work and their career because that that really wasn't happening at that point. 
So yeah. because I knew photographers and I'd interviewed photographers for the magazine, I felt like I had the skill set. I just needed to know how to put together a podcast. So I just started scouring the internet trying to figure out, okay, how do you record one? How do you edit one? How do you create a blog? And yep. um, I just got got started. My first interview with was John, with, was with John Isaac, who was a former uh, UN photographer who I'd gotten to know as a result of my work at the magazine. And I interviewed him in a, in a restaurant where he was staying uh, in Pasadena. And I just started spitting out shows from there. And um, yeah, it was one of the few things in my life that I knew would be a success if I if I did it. And I didn't really measure what that success meant. I don't. I wasn't thinking success mean, meant that I would be making money from it. Yeah, success meant that there was there was an audience out there, and there would be people who would who would listen in. Because I felt like this is the show I want to hear, so I'm sure there are other people out there who want to hear the same thing. And then over the years, it's like slowly grew to the point of where it's it's now. I got I think five hundred five hundred plus interviews in there with photographers, some of whom wow. have been have been my photographic heroes forever, like Mary Ellen Mark, you know, John Isaac, um, Eli Reed, um, Jay Mazel. I mean, it just goes on and on. And um, the intent of the, 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 the show was, though, to create a place for really diverse voices. Because yes. when you work for the magazines, sometimes it's the same people over and over again that get profiled. And um, I, wanted, I wanted the show to, to be a showcase for people who may not necessarily be famous enough to end up in a magazine, but whose work is really interesting and have good stories to tell. So, luckily, uh, it started. It started taking off. I don't know what. It, it's really hard to say when it took off. I know at some point it took off, but at the, I was so busy trying to put out the shows out. I really, I really didn't have a sense of what was happening in terms of the audience. And sometimes now I'm surprised by who I reach because every once in a while I get approached by someone who tells me how much the, the show has meant to them and how transformative it's been to their careers, which yeah. is always really pleasing <clears throat> and exciting to know that because, you know, producing the show and putting it out is one thing, but how people react to it and respond to it is, is completely out of my hands. Right. But to hear such, to hear stories from people that say this interview or this series of interviews helped me to get into, um, a career or change my career, um, that's really heartening. You know, I feel yes. like I'm, 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 I'm providing a really important service to the community other than, other than just telling them what to buy. <laughs> <laughs> what is truly remarkable about uh, the, the kind of show that you're doing is that it is perpetually timeless uh, in that you can, at, at any point, you can venture back to previous episodes and still have it be meaningful. Uh, there isn't a, 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 like a news-related timestamp to it, so nothing is nothing is truly ever outdated. Um, maybe maybe a few quips or. Um, 
you know, some, you know, humor could be outdated or something. But apart from that, I mean, that's just like, you know, minor details. Um, but the overall quality and uh, message that, that each person that you interview uh, brings to the table is just as meaningful now as it was back then. Yeah, and, and I think that's what I take pride in in the, in the show, that it's evergreen. Yes. Because no, some people tell me they go back all the way to episode one and they've listened yeah. to everything. And I just go, <laughs> oh, it's crazy, you know, because that's a lot of hours of, of, of content. But like you said, they find it valuable. It's not like some other shows where if they're only talking about current equipment, that people aren't going to go back 10 years to listen about what you had to say about X and, you know, X camera doesn't matter anymore yeah. it has a finite life but it's kind of like um my my fascination with Amer american photographer magazine which was the precursor to american photo and i had a lot of those issues and back then the the magazine did a lot of profiles and it was a lot less on equipment and those articles uh, were great you know yep. even 10 15 years after they had come out um you know, but because of advertising, a lot of those magazines started to spend more of their pages dedicated to equipment and how-tos, which are interesting. But at, cer at, a certain, at a certain point, any photographer knows enough to be able to do create their work, right? You don't need to know 100% in terms of how to work a camera or, how, or, or, or wield Photoshop. You know, you don't need to know everything. What's important is you get out there and do the work, and then you learn whatever you need to do in order to produce the work. And I think that one of the traps that many photographers, including myself, have found themselves in is that we get so caught up with the gear, we think less about what we're trying to create with it. And yes, and so for me, the magazine, uh, I mean, the, 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 the podcast sort of, it is is for everybody, but particular, but specifically for people who are really feeling like, okay, I've learned enough about the camera. What else can I do with it? What's possible in terms of the stories that I can tell, the pictures that I can make? And I think it's a really great source of inspiration, whether or not you want to be a professional photographer or you want to be a professional enthusiast, right? Because you, your your photographic career doesn't have to be defined by whether or not you make money from selling, right? Mm -hmm. You can create work just for the sake of creating work and sharing it with whatever community that you're in. And that's good too. Uh, you don't necessarily have to become a quote unquote a pro in order to be able to claim, claim the title photographer. Um, some of the best photographers that have ever been were amateurs, right? Yes. So I, I think that that's one of the things I really hope that people get out of it is to realize that there's so many paths to becoming a photographer. The definition really lies in, in how you see yourself and your work. Uh, other people's opinion really don't matter to a great degree. Well said. Uh, that That is, uh, I, I mean, some of the, most influential stuff that we have been seeing uh, lately has been coming from the, the, the amateur uh, amateur side, whether it's photography, video, 
Um, they, they are they are the stuff that have moved the world uh, quite literally <laughs> in, in in recent times. So, yeah, the the important thing is to 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 keep the camera up and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Um, God, I could, I mean, we could keep going on and on. Um, just, just, I I want, I want to kind of finalize uh, everything with, uh, just everybody should see your work. Uh, I mean, everybody should already be listening to your podcast. (laughs) Uh, um, but, uh, why don't you tell the world where they can, uh, find you, uh, visually first and then kind of go into the, the, the podcast. Like, well, they can go to the candidframe.com, which, um, is the link for, for the podcast. And they'll, they'll see the full roster of people that I've had on the show. But, uh, we also have an app for the show, uh, which is available both on Android and on Apple iOS. And there they have access to the complete inventory of, of, of episodes that I've ever done. Everything is available. I don't have a, um, a premium wall put up where you only get a certain number for free and then you have to pay for the other ones. I'm making them all publicly available for free, at least at this point. Um, and then if they go, if they go to the candidframe.com, they'll also see my website, which is at where they'll see um, some of the work that I've done. But uh, my Instagram, which is simply at ibarionx, is the place to go just to, keep up with the kind of work that I'm producing now. I probably, I, I've yet to update the the website. I think the last time I updated it was about a year and a half ago, and that needs to get updated. But if you follow me on Instagram, that's probably the best place to go just to see what, you know, what I'm doing photographically. And um, yeah, and then I, I do do workshops, but I have not scheduled anything for this year thus far. I was really still waiting to see how things were playing out in terms of the pandemic. But I'll probably have some stuff happening towards late summer or the end of the year. Have things lightened up on your side? They have. They have. Um, but, you know, with everyone sort of st- – at this at this point, you know, people are no longer having to use masks. But there is still – there are still people that are uh, getting infected by the virus. Yeah. And I'm just sort of gauging it right now because I don't want to make a commitment only to have another – you know, another surge come up and then have to sort of cancel everything. Um, Agreed. So if I do anything, it'll probably be in the latter half of the year because right now it's kind of late to start promoting stuff for the spring and the early summer. Yeah. So um, I'm going to see how things are playing out through through May. And if things st- are still doing well, then I'll probably start posting some things that I want to do mostly here in Los Angeles, but I am probably going to do some, um, a workshop with Momenta photographic workshops, which is an organization that teaches you how to work with nonprofits. Oh, amazing. So you, you, you go on these uh, workshops for about four days and they put you in, uh, you work with a nonprofit in a given city to produce images for their, Promotion, self-promotions for the advertising for the annual reports. And you basically shoot as a documentary photographer. 
So nice. And then I was also uh, I was doing a workshop in Japan, but that's been the last couple of years that had to be canceled because of COVID. And I yeah. don't know whether or not we'll still be able to do it again this year. I kind of think it's going to probably be delayed until uh, 2023, just because of the, st- the state of things. But I'm, I'm eager to get back into it because that's one of the things I really enjoy is you know going out in the field with people and and um, sharing what I do. But if they just follow me either on the show, uh, Instagram or on Twitter, which is at EbodyNX, um, when things those things get announced, that's probably where I'm going to share about it first. Sounds good. Uh, everybody should follow, keep up to date with you. And, uh, man – Awesome having you on the show, and definitely you are welcome back anytime. We could probably keep talking uh, shop about the the back in the publishing days, and uh, I mean, God, I could probably pick your brain about that uh, for for a long time. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. I'm open to coming back here anytime. Just ask. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. And I hope to see you back next week. I wanted to also mention one more time that this is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And my name is Mark Sadowski. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Mostly Instagram, though. I'm at Mark Sadowski. That's Mark with a C. And you can also check out my other podcast, Xmark. It's a Fujifilm-esque kind of show, where it's more spice of life and pretty infrequent. But if you want more of my voice, that's the place to check it out. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. (laughs) 